Blog Talk Radio. Sexual harassers and terrible, terrible movies. I'm Robert Winfrey, and everyone, Earth. and this is Damn You Hollywood. Here with me. Don't forget the earthquakes. For the, <laughs> for the wildfires. For yes. Please continue. Well, anyway, back with me for the first time in a while is Mark Radlich. Hi, Mark. Hello there, sir. It's good to be back here on Damn You Hollywood for the first of many reviews as we. Uh, say goodbye to 2017. The first of many wonderful movies we'll be seeing, like Geostorm and Thor and Justice League and Star Wars and Jumanji. I hate my life. <laughs> uh, did you watch? No, honestly, uh, I am looking Richard? forward to none of those. Did you watch the Star Wars trailer? Yes. What do you think of it so far? I don't care. <laughs> it's not what I asked you. I said, what did you think of the trailer? It's a trailer. Like, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> okay. I mean, it didn't you had get some me pretty... any more excited to see it than I already was. Which well, is I don't to say think I... that's... I don't think that's fair, and here's why. When you saw the trailer for Thor the first time, you decided you weren't going to like the movie. I'm curious if you had a similar reaction to Star Wars, no reaction, or you thought, oh, you know, that actually doesn't look too bad. Uh, my issues with Thor were what I believed it would indicate about the film relative to my expectations and my understanding of the properties, so on and so forth. This seems like it's going to be another entry in essentially the same wheelhouse as the other entries. It did absolutely nothing for my expectations relative to where they were before. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I was uh, The part that got me was at the very end where Daisy Ridley says, 
I need someone to show me my part, my uh, my way in all of this, or my part, or whatever it was she said. And then uh, Kylo Ren sticks his hand out. Um, so I'll be I'll be curious to see if they, you know, what they do with Daisy Ridley and how they turn her. And you know, look looks like Luke's going to be reluctant to train her, which is going to be kind of an interesting thing to watch. So I'm excited for it. I already have my tickets. I'll be going Thursday night. That whole that whole week where you know I've just said there's going to be no shows. I'm, or I mean, at least I'm not doing any. Um, I have a friend in town that's going to go see Star Wars with me. Uh, you know, we went to go see the Phantom Menace together two years ago. So it's like that that that's just going to be we're t- we're taking a week off for Star Wars, <laughs> basically. Um, but yeah, we're going to go Thursday at six o'clock for the fan event. A fan event, Robert Winfrey. Because I am a fan, you see. Only this time I don't have to go all the way to Disney Springs. I am, uh, you know, I'm just going to the theater that's down the block from my house. I hope you have a good time. I'm sure we will. It'll be me, my be- my my best buddy from New York, and you know, hundreds of other nerds <laughs> who are super into Star Wars. It'll be a grand old time. And then we'll probably go to Disney the next day. But I'll tell you, I did not have a grand old time at Blade Runner 2049. There's three hours of my life I want back. Jesus Christ. Mark, are we going to... I don't know. I I, I want... You and I talked a little bit before the show about why your experience with this movie was different from mine in some respects. Anyway, for those of you who weren't necessarily aware, tonight we are reviewing Blade Runner 2049, the long-awaited sequel to the Ridley Scott cult classic Blade Runner. Really? Was anyone really waiting for this movie? I mean, were, were people demanding the further adventures of Deckard? Did, did, did they not say all that needed to be said in the first movie? All 97 different versions of it? There's like five major different versions, and even then, like three of them are just my, like the differences between uh, between a few of those are just are not terribly noticeable. The primary difference in the original Blade Runner is like the theatrical cut, which kind of sucks, and the director's cut, which lets you know what it really is. And then uh, I actually tend to prefer the I believe it's called the final cut. Myself is the one that, that I've always. That's the one I own, and that's the one I believe I've always kind of considered the best version of that movie. Because the theatrical cut is like a completely different movie from what Ridley Scott was trying to make. You know, I keep hearing that, and other than there's no narration in the final cut, and there is in the theatrical, which is what I watched today, I rented the theatrical cut from uh, iTunes, and I had a very similar experience to that that I did with Blade Runner, where I was bored out of my fucking mind, and kept dozing off. Um, but that being said, if you can narrow it down to you know fifty words or less, what are the major differences, minus the narration, between the final cut and the theatrical cut? There's a few scenes that are rather important to planting the. Gah. There's a real interesting um, – because Blade Runner is essentially a meditation on the nature of self, the nature of life, individuality, trying desperately to hold on to it, so on and so forth. And 
one of the things that gets completely omitted in the theatrical cut is the subtle implications that Deckard is actually a replicant. You know, I watched the the um, Red Letter Media guys talk about the theatrical cut, and they spent, in a 30-minute review of the entire movie, they spent, I feel, like half of it discussing the is he or isn't he a replicant. And they made the point, and I tend to agree with it, that it, I think it ruins the story if he's a replicant. That, that is the opinion better. that Harrison Ford holds. That is not the opinion that uh, Ridley Scott holds. Well, fuck, well, fuck Ridley that was, Scott. Uh, <laughs> no, that was like the big source of conflict between the two of them on set was Ridley believed Deckard was a replicant, Harrison Ford didn't, and they just never really got over the artistic clash there. Well, what does the book say? Oh, no, like, oh, God, I can't even begin to express the differences. <laughs> like, <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Blade Runner is based on a, I can't remember if it's a novella or a short story by Isaac Asimov called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? My brother's looking at me funny. Be- oh, Philip K. Dick, excuse me, not Isaac Asimov. Thank you. And of, of course, Philip K. Dick does a lot of messing with reality in his stories. And the the good adaptations of his stories do the same thing. The original Total Recall, for example, if you need another one. Mostly what Blade Runner, the original, is, it's not a one-to-one adaptation so much as it is taking the themes and the questions and the, the philosophy that is either espoused or questioned throughout Dick's novel. And again, I can't remember how long it is, so forgive me there. And expanding them, creating a slightly more vibrant universe. Um, there's a lot more like space travel in the novel, I seem to recall. There's like ship-to-ship fighting. It's, it's a, again, I'm, I, it's been so long since I've read that, if I've read it. I've read some of his stuff I can't remember, so forgive me. But again, like the differences in terms of content, if you're looking for a one-to-one adaptation, are relatively shocking. But in terms of getting the feel, it's very, very accurate. And that's actually one of the big problems with the theatrical cut is it, again, it it sets aside a lot of the, again, the interesting meditations on the nature of self, the nature of reality, the nature of what it means to be alive for a less interesting noir film right down to the hard-boiled cop giving voiceover narration. It's less about the narration, which is generally serviceable. It's more about what it represents in terms of what the film is trying to say that so diminishes and distinguishes that from what the movie could and should be when you see some of the other versions. Now that I've taken Sean Coma's part for the upcoming On Trial... Yeah, I was going to say, we're going to discuss this more on Thursday, where I'm going to be in the dubious position of having to prosecute this thing, and I'm going to have to stop stop myself from saying things like I fell asleep through it, and I was bored out of my fucking mind, because that's not an apt prosecution of a movie. Um, That is 
generally speaking, well made. <laughs> just got some problems. But more on that Thursday. Let's talk about this movie that I fell asleep on. I was bored. The fu- I was bored out of my fucking mind. But it's very well made. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be that critic this time around, aren't you? You know, no, I look. I'm I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I, I'm well aware that again, because you and I have had the discussion when yelling at critics in the past that just because a movie is not something blowing up every twenty seconds. Or you, you know, like modern critics wouldn't know what to do sitting through The Godfather. Well, I I think very easily put, just because this wasn't my particular cup of tea, doesn't make it a bad movie. Let's look at the individual elements and judge them appropriately. And that is going to be my struggle tonight. But I can, <laughs> it can be done. And that's why I. You know, like doing this show with you rather than someone who's going to go, oh, my God, it was so long and there were no explosions <laughs> like four. And I, I don't I don't know what to do with myself having to watch Ryan Gosling actually act. Like, God forbid an actor act. But let's get into the uh, synopsis. Yeah. Now that you all know that. Oh, also, for the record, Mark saw the original after seeing this one which probably yes. contributed to some of his to some of his experience with the film which is I literally had no idea what this movie was about <laughs> zero <laughs> I had no context I knew nothing about it it was like it's on the schedule I was aware it existed I know that nerds for a decade for you know two decades now three decades have loved this movie and it was an inspiration for you know, movies like the matrix and such. Um, so like I was aware of blade runners original existence. So when I saw there was a sequel to it, I was like, well, it's got to go on the list of movies we're going to review, but I know nothing about this. And I read, and I had hoped that my sitting through this and the original blade runner was going to be a positive experience. Because, again, it's not like anyone told me, you know, on, on the sci-fi barometer between Star Trek and Dune where this would land. You really no should clue. have asked. You really should have asked. Um, with both of these movies, I think your expectation is a significant part of your experience with it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely expected this to be more of an action movie. Um but that's but that was me guessing. You know, I assumed that that's what it was that it was going to be a sci-fi action movie and not that, you know, I got something and that was different from that and that's why I I didn't enjoy it. You know, I it could have defied my expectations and I still would have enjoyed it. I just I didn't enjoy what I saw for the most part. Which is completely fair and you know, you'll get to get into what you liked and didn't like about it. All right. As for our plot synopsis, this is set some 30 years after the original Blade Runner. Um, the the major world events <laughs> that play into the plot... <coughs> excuse me one second. Ah, cherry Coke. Good for what ails you. Uh, anyway, the, the two major world events that uh, transpired relative to the first movie 
were a temporary ban on replicants because they kept rebelling and wanting to live longer. Who'd have thought, right? You, that's just one of those like deeply short-sighted things I want to shake characters and people in this world who do kind of the same thing. Like, do you not see what this will do three or four steps down the line? Stop editorializing. Uh, anyway, they, with the plot they, synopsis. they banned replicants because they kept rebelling violently, trying to live longer, much like Rutger Hauer's character from the first. There was a ecological collapse, like various parts of trees and forests like stopped working. Uh, there was your singular billionaire, who in this case is very much styling himself after Jesus with the hair and the beard who was able to figure out how to synthetically farm various uh, plant protein sources to save humanity or the planet Earth from collapse. He then purchased the remnants of the corporation that made replicants. He perfected elements of how they are designed so that they don't try to kill people to make them live longer than their you know six-month lifespan. And he's now your, you know, evil billionaire tycoon. And much like in the original, there's still the position of people called Blade Runners, whose job it is to hunt down and retire, see murder, replicants who are, like, out of date for their... uh, I mean, like, there's a few points about this I wish had been made clearer because in the original it's just replicants that are not behaving properly in this it's more well your whole series was supposed to have been retired but you didn't you get the memo you weren't part of the factory recall and now you you get a bullet to the head and our titular uh, not titular but our protagonist uh, known by goes by K he has a serial number and most of the time he's just known as K Played by Ryan Gosling is a Blade Runner. He finds and kills Dave Batista, who speaks cryptically about miracles and wanting to continue living. Uh, they discover the body of a deceased replicant, Rachel, from the original, who they find out through forensic analysis had given birth, which was thought impossible for replicants because we don't need them reproducing and upsetting the status quo, you see. Uh, Kay's immediate boss decides this is one of those things that really shouldn't become public knowledge, orders him to destroy the evidence, destroy, then find said child and destroy it. Because we can't, again, we don't want to upset the established order. Uh, Our evil billionaire genius is trying to make replicants reproduce because the rate at which he can manufacture them is inherently limited and he wants more so that he can fulfill quasi-vague, global, world, universal domination ambitions. I don't know. Again, there's a few things about his motivation I would have liked flushed out as well. Uh, Kay tries to find said child throughout the course of the film. He comes to believe it's actually him as various memories that he has, which are ostensibly implanted into replicants to give them greater context for their existence and a slightly more emotionally balanced psyche, turn out to have actually occurred. He tracks down Harrison Ford's character of Deckard from the first one because he wants answers and to meet his potential father. 
Uh, they are ambushed at a couple of different points by... What the heck was his name? I know Jared, Jared Leto. That's the actor. Jared Leto's character. And his troops, who want, again, the power of replicant reproduction. Uh, Ryan Gosling is saved from death by the replicant uprising, because they've actually... And he then finds out, no, it wasn't you... Uh, he actually, there was actually a daughter. It's a character he met on a, a bit earlier. Who, yeah, we can get into later if we want, but not him. He decides he has to say, rescue Deckard so that he can meet his daughter. There's a final clash between him and the chief thug. He rescues Deckard. Is fatally wounded in the process. Uh, takes Harrison Ford to meet his daughter, and dies outside while they potentially reconnect. And believe me, there's a lot here going on that I do want to talk about that I am not going to be able to do justice to in a plot synopsis. I mean, there's a whole sub. There's a whole. I hate to call it a subplot because it. I don't think it's very plot related, but there's a whole bit going on where he has a artificial intelligence type of thing, which that is you know, lives in his apartment that he's kind of fallen in love with despite it not having physical manifestation. Uh, There's a lot about, again, there's a lot going on here about the nature of your reality, the nature of what it is to be human, to be you, how easily that can be monkeyed with, uh, which are all things that appeal to me personally. There's a lot about this that I did enjoy, but... That's not to say it's without flaw. So, Mark, by your own, and in your own words, you were bored and kept falling asleep. So, uh, what would you like to start with? What, let me ask you this instead, instead of just kind of throwing you out there to flail about. What, what are your positive takeaways from this movie? I mean, again, aside from Looks the boredom great. and the narcolepsy, what did you enjoy <laughs> about it? What did you think was good? It looks great. It's a it's a beautifully done. Uh, visual movie. Um, the the art direction is phenomenal. Even though the pal- the color palette was let to something less to be desired, when he goes to uh, Vegas, I mean, it just looks great. Everything about it looks great, even though it's all yellow. Um, the end sequence, while I don't necessarily enjoy watching things that are shot in the fucking dark was still a sight to behold as you saw the car being um, overcome with water and Deckard potentially drowning and an entire end fight sequence between Love, Louvre, whatever her name is, and uh, Ryan Gosling's character, Kay. So... Visually, it's it's all very stunning. So that's a plus. Everyone acting in it is fine. There's no bad performances that I could see. My my problems with it are. I forgetting about the the, the passing out part of it because I don't think I slept through anything of major importance. But, like, I'll give you an example of an issue I had with it. Um, 
overall, I didn't feel like, at least for me, I had to read the plot synopsis after seeing the movie, like the next day, to figure out. Any, like, I literally left that movie. I had no idea what it was I just watched. Um, I, I no part of that is I hadn't seen the first one, so I didn't know about the significance of the Rachel character or anything like that. But you know, I didn't realize what a replicant was. Um, and to the, and and to to this day, I still don't necessarily get the replicants. Um, I'm I guessing. Can, that, I, I mean, blame that for you. Well, they well they no. I I realize they're bio. They're they're artificial humans, but. I guess I was under the impression they were more like cyborgs, like they they were more android than uh, than human. But it seems like they're just enhanced humans. They're enhanced artificial humans who die after you know, or at least in the case of Blade Runner, uh, die after four years. But again, not having not having seen the first movie, you know, I I, I was at a disadvantage. So some of what happens in the movie, like they don't really re-explain anything. And they just plow forward. Like, I don't know why uh, Kay is going after Batista in the beginning. And then this is the big one. When they figure out what the box is and what's in the box. What's in the box? What's in the box? Um, They figure out what's in the box and what it means. You have the Robin Wright character who's flipping out. And be like, this is the wall. This is the wall, you know, and we have to keep it up or we're, you know, or humanity will, you know, and just goes on and on about this. And I'm like, but why? And, and I feel like that's a flaw of the movie is that you can't assume your audience saw the first one. And it was also 30 years ago. So the other problem with that is even if you did see it, you know, you may not remember all of the details. So, there's some explaining that I feel like some some plot exposition that needed to happen that just isn't in this movie. It makes a lot of assumptions, and for somebody who went into it cold, was like, uh, okay, I don't know why any of this is happening, or what it means, or what the significance is. Maybe I'm dumb. Maybe, maybe it is all in there, and I just somehow missed it. But it's honestly, more... like, I was struggling. Well, it's more for me, like, because I understand being a history buff, every time that the subservient class finds a way to elevate themselves, that's when, you know, bad stuff starts happening. And I don't mean that in the sense that how dare we not still have a class system, but it is a violent process to overthrow it. Okay, but that's my point. None of that got explained appropriately. So like, the fact that you have watching... so the fact that you have these watching... synthetic life forms that are entirely dependent on humans to continue existing and are placed in a position where they have very little free will and are forced to obey things asked of them by humans I mean that seems pretty clear to me they are very clearly okay. a slave race and now have the potential to simply overtake humanity if they can reproduce on their own because they're in they're superior to humanity in every way i did not feel like that was adequately explained in the movie and i could be wrong about that you could be like how could he have not have seen it but you're talking to somebody who could who could very succinctly explain all four 
of the first Transformers movies. Their plot details, their motivations, and everything else. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, I don't get what's happening. Well, that's because <laughs> there aren't really any in the Transformers movies. No, see, there are. That's the point of me bringing that up. Um, I can succinctly explain that Shia LaBeouf has, you know, issues being a teenager and wants to get laid. Wow. Let's let's not get into an argument over Transformers for the 50 millionth time. Um, My point with my my point with bringing that up is that I'm, you know, like I don't think I'm I'm a dummy. Uh, and, I, and I was paying close enough attention to at least the first hour of this film before it started to lose me and I was losing consciousness. Uh, just in terms of film structure, I mean, let's think about what the setup here is. A person who has no foreknowledge of what this movie is or what it's about or what this world is comes into it, and after an hour into this movie, still not a clue. Literally no clue. I I didn't realize Kay was a replicant until much later on in the movie. You know, the fact that I, I started is just it, a serial number. Again, that doesn't mean anything without any context. That could just be the way this world operates. I don't know. I got a hint of that. Um, another thing that really bugged me was how much time is spent with him and the. Uh, hologram yeah so the, so you're right there's an entire subplot a very generous subplot that is spent with him in this hologram it goes on forever and i don't know if it amounts to anything and it's it's and here's the thing i'm not criticizing ryan gosling's acting as such as it was he was told act a certain way, and he does, and he does that effectively, but if you told me he was in love with this hologram, I wouldn't believe you, based on that performance. Based on what he does in this movie, I, it just... Like, I, my impression of, who, uh, of what the hologram was and how he was interacting with it was almost like a nagging wife. <laughs> like, it's just weird. Like, I didn't get the sense that he was, you know, really overly attached to it. Like, you, almost, must like, have, like, like it, you must have nodded off through a couple of scenes that, uh, I mean, I, that's one of the things that I had a very different experience. I mean, this is a character in K whose sole purpose is to find and kill things. And because he's a replicant, society essentially rejects him because he's, arguably not real and again parts of this movie are meant to be meditations on what is the, you know, the nature of self and individual and life on life so on and so forth and the closest thing he can actually get to a meaningful relationship with anything at all is this you know uh hologram Right, but in that first scene when they're together, I it felt like he was giving her the cold shoulder and wasn't really trying to interact with her, and it almost came across as, you know, the the wife that's waiting all day, you know, at home for the husband, and the husband's like, just leave me alone. I want to sit quietly and drink a beer. And I'm like, and so later on in the film, when they kill her, and that's supposed to evoke an emotional response, I'm like, eh. 
Okay. You know, the only other scene that that might have convinced me there was more going on with him in the hologram is the is the is the futuristic three way. Um, you didn't get anything from well the two of them going up on the roof in the rain and not physically being able to touch. Uh, now that you mention it, yeah, maybe. But I thought the the one that stayed in my mind more was that first scene. The thing in the rain, I might have just been too far gone at that point for it to have registered, to be honest. Because it happens right after. He shows up home and he gives her the, uh, for want of a better phrase, the mobile emitter. So she's not stuck oh, within right. that right. limited but that space. Felt more like, I, I didn't get anything from his reaction to that. I got that more of hers. Like, oh, look, I'm a real girl now. Like, that's all I got out of that scene. Which made me think she might have been a real person at one time, and her, and her essence got uploaded into the internet or some shit. Until you know, and he's walking of... towards his final confrontation, and he sees, and he's reminded very, right, yeah, very no, pointedly that. that she's I know. just a mass-produced product. Right. But my experience with the film until I saw that was I was thinking she might have been somebody that he really knew, and this was his way of hanging on to her. Um, and, and that would have also explained some of his reticence in dealing with her is, you know, that any given time this could, you know, she could go away again for, you know, for good this time. And then, right, you see the advertisement for it at the very end. It's like, oh, well, I guess that's not right. <laughs> you know, well, they, but again, uh, the first time he meets love, uh, he mentions, oh, you're uh, because he's carrying that you know, thing with him that gives off. I forget what the song, that little bit of the, that piece of classical music. And right. She brings up that oh that's you know one of our products, and that's right 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 right. No, I, okay, I remember that now, and yeah, I remember thinking in the theater like oh okay, it's just the hologram, it, it it means nothing more to him. But then if that's the case, then why do I why do I care about that character? It's not who takes just a hologram so to time? him; it's just a hologram to everyone else. To him, it's something Again, he's formed an attachment with. I don't feel like, and you feel free to disagree with this, it's, but it's not worth continuing to debate. My personal opinion is I don't feel like the writing was strong enough to bring enough of that out. I'm not saying I, entire, it wasn't there entirely. I'm saying it didn't gra- it, there wasn't enough of it there to grab me. I feel like they relied a lot on the... Uh, kind of the subtle acting and the subtext of stuff between the two of them that you really had to pay attention to. Okay. In order to really kind of get that. And if there's anything distracting you, and I was unfortunate enough to be in a theater with two different groups of people, one in front of me, one behind me, that wouldn't shut up. Uh, no, it's one of those things that you really, I feel like you really have to pay attention to. And if this were, you know, done by a different director, then there would have been long bits of dialogue rather than just letting the actors do it with, you know, other things. I, I hate to be the guy that complains about an actor, you know, silently looking into the camera and acting. But there was a lot of that in this. There was. And I think 
like it works in movies like The Godfather where the world is still familiar enough that you can do that. I don't know how well it works in a dystopian future sci-fi epic where you still have to explain some of the world building to people. Like you don't have to do world building in for the deer hunter. <laughs> you don't have to do world building for the Godfather necessarily. You do kind of have to do it for Blade Runner. I don't know. It didn't bother me, but well, I am. Well, I am perfectly willing to accept that I am a statistical aberration uh, a lot of the time. <laughs> um, the last thing I'm going to say is while I while I did enjoy the visuals and I thought the movie looked very pretty. Um, one thing I was a little taken aback by in terms of visuals was, and I'm comparing this now to the original. The original looked like a lived-in world, a bustling lived-in world. This one looked, this one looked dead. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm for the record, at, I think that's deliberate. And and that's fine, but it doesn't make it interesting, you know. And certainly, I'm sitting here going, why do we need cops and why do we need replicant cops if there's nobody in this world anymore? And, you know, and again, she made such a hue and cry over, you know, we need to keep this world from tearing itself apart, but you don't get to see any of the world. I saw a little bit of the city, which looked empty, then we're in Vegas, and then the car, you know, and then, you know, where, I, I don't know where they are at the end, but you know, they were in a place where there's water, and, the, you know, and the car, and Harrison They were Ford along the one of those giant walls that separate the sea from Los Angeles. They showed those in a couple of the okay. uh, you know, panoramic shots. And, and that, okay, but my point is, there's, those words that Robin Wright delivers to me are empty if you don't actually show me a world that m- might actually fall into chaos. Like, she's like, you know, like, we have to save this world. And I'm like, what world is she talking about? I, I see your point. I mean, again, a lot of the stuff that is done with you know, the other people living in the world is given a little bit short change. I mean, you have the scene where he walks back to his apartment and he's, you know, there's all these people he's stepping over and he's, you know, verbally accosted and there's graffiti on the outside of his house or on the outside of his door. Then you have the scene where he is sitting around eating and uh, the replicant resistance sends a couple of you know, prostitutes over to kind of chat him up. <laughs> uh, there's right, a so bit of the retirement thoughts. home, but yeah, th- yeah, I generally agree with your with you that they could have maybe done a better job, even just in like background stuff, like news reports of civil unrest that go to just right. creating a feel. Well, so instead of doing the same same shot of the city at night with the, uh, with the flames going up, maybe do some, you know, maybe show more of the city with people interacting in the city, you know, do show me, show me what's at stake, which I did never got a sense of with this movie. Yeah. And that's also part of my gripe with the, again, the Jared Leto's character, his desire for, Replicants who can reproduce on their own. I mean, we, you get the sense that he's the bad guy, and he certainly behaves that way in some respects. But I mean, like his exact goals are never really made clear. 
and there's a lot about why he's doing what he's doing that I felt needed to be fleshed out and could have added a whole, you know, a further layer of menace to him that quite frankly, he could have used. So those are more my thoughts on it. I thought Harrison Ford did a good job. Um, you know, I was their their shared sequences were interesting to say the least. Uh, took a little while to get there, but you know, eventually they do get there, and it's fine, I guess. Um, so, I guess let's do your review, and then we'll get we'll get on with the next part of this. I generally enjoyed it, um, but I also have been known to enjoy. Sl- not always, but I again I have been known to enjoy on occasion the the more symbolic films, the more for want of a better phrase, art house style. I mean I have a different ceiling from other people as far as how much of that I can take. But I like you know, slower stuff that deals with and some of the themes that they touch on here. I like that they kinda of mess with Ryan Gosling with, you know, Kay's head a little bit and well, no, like, you're in a position where, no, it's you. You're, you know, the, you're the chosen one. You are the replicant born of human and rep... You know, and then, no, really, you just kind of got the shaft as far as that goes. They were just screwing with your head. I like stuff like that. Uh, I liked all the acting, uh, specifically Gosling and Harrison Ford, I thought did a really good job. The one thing I would warn people about, this is a nearly three-hour movie. It's 168 minutes. And it's a long movie. And it feels long. If you like paying attention to what's on screen, I don't think it drag. I don't find it ponderous. But... If you're planning, again, if you're thinking about seeing it, be aware. This is a long movie. This is a slower-paced movie. And if that, if those aren't things you're interested in, you will not enjoy it. Uh, but, again, on whole, yeah, I found it enjoyable. I don't think there's anything that's really going to stick with me going forward. But... It was very well made, uh, well acted, and I have very few, again, I have, Mark and I outlined some of our technical complaints, but I have very few of them. I just really struggled to find anything that that blew me away about this movie. So on that note, I believe, Mark, we get to talk about your favorite thing in the world. <laughs> Kidok. I didn't think you would. Normally, you go on for a while, so I wasn't prepared with the uh, with the with the theme here. Hang on. All right, we'll fix it. We'll fix it in post. No, we won't. Um, (laughs) That's the joke. (laughs) All right, here we go. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. All right, on a budget of 150 million, this thing so far has made 86 million. It did not. Uh, they had to lower their projections for the weekend. It did not do as well as uh, the producers were hoping. Were hoping. 
were hoping. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 struggles to $31.5 million opening weekend. Um, not not great. And it, it does it, it does bring up the topic of why Hollywood feels the need to continue making sequels for decades-old movies. Because they're creatively bankrupt. Without knowing for sure if there's even going to be a audience for it. You know, I really, who the fuck was clamoring for a second Blade Runner? You know, for a guy who spends as much time on the internet as you do, and as much of a nerd as you are in certain circles, there's whole segments of nerddom that you just seem oblivious to. Right, but they're not gonna they're not gonna bring this thing to a three hundred million dollar uh, take, you know, or a four or five hundred million dollar take. I I don't no, see I, this. Mo- <laughs> I'm not disagreeing I mean, with you. I think there's a massive disconnect because as Blade Runner is talked about a lot, especially again amongst the more sci-fi crowd. The various different versions of it, again, particularly the director's cut or the final cut, are revered in a lot of respects, and rightfully so. But for some reason, all of that seemed to have has led people to the severe misconception that Blade Runner was a hit. <laughs> Blade Runner as a theatrical release, the original, was a massive flop. A massive flop. And part of that is because the theatrical version is, well, just less good. But (laughs) apart from that. (laughs) And the type of people that were drawn to it are those who love stuff like, and I'm going to generalize here, so please don't yell at me. Because most of the stuff I don't care for. But it's the same type of people who like, you know, Doctor Who, for example. And I know there's going to be some people on both sides of that. Like, I like one, I don't like the other. Please stop generalizing. I have to generalize. I'm making a point here. In that the fan base is there. They are passionate. But they are not legion. (laughs) (laughs) There is a passionate fan base for Blade Runner. I imagine there's a lot of them, of the people who saw this movie, if you liked the first one, you probably really enjoyed this. If this is your, if this is your kind of a movie, there's a lot to enjoy. But this was... This was a miss in terms of people managing expectations. <laughs> Uh, on the studio end, because this you're following up a cult classic in the science fiction genre, and actual science fiction is a real hard sell. I still maintain, and you've essentially agreed with me on this point about the damage that Star Wars did to that genre. And. It- Pure science fiction doesn't bring in huge numbers of people. Yeah, the closest Um, thing you have to a legitimate blockbuster science fiction work over the last few years was... I mean, you could argue a couple of the Planet of the Apes movies, I suppose. 
Um, but Interstellar was probably the last one that, like, genuine mm-hmm. science fiction that did a significant box office take. I think science fiction does well on television. But, you know, because you, you got to remember, the movies involve actually going out. And, and <laughs> I know this is sort of a strange thing to say, but people actually have to get out of their house and go to the movies. And, and people will leave their house for spectacle. They'll leave for the Marvel movies, obviously. You know, they like watching the comic book movies on the big screen. But as in terms of pure science fiction, a lot of people, they're, they're not leaving the house for that. That's a wait till it comes on Netflix kind of deal or wait till it comes on HBO or whatever. Um, which is why I go back to why would you greenlit, greenlight rather, Blade Runner 2049 for the big screen? What audience did you think was coming out for this? I, mean, I, think, there's enough of an, I think there's enough of an I audience. Pro- I think the problem is the budget <laughs> because that's the real monstrosity here. Yeah. Um, as in terms of, I mean, it was the number one movie of the weekend. Not that it had a whole lot of competition. Um, the mountain between us, which you couldn't pay me to go see that, uh, came in at number two in its debut, uh, five weeks out so far. It went from number two to number three. Yeah. It's raking in the See though. People come out for horror movies. It's fucking raking in the dough. If they're good, uh, My they Little will. Pony, My Little Pony debuted at number four, which I took my kids to go see. They had a good time with that. It was actually a lot. Of, it, was, it was fun for what it was. Uh, the Kingsman went from number one to number five. It, it dropped pretty far uh, in its the third week, it looks like. Uh, American Made went from three to six. The Lego Ninjago movie, which was also fun. My son had a good time at that. Went from four to seven. A Victorian Abdul went from actually went up, went from eleven to eight. Flatliners, again, who the fuck agreed to greenlight a reboot of Flatliners? Went from five to nine, and uh, rounding out the top ten, the Battle of the Sexes dropped from six to ten. Um, the Stray, which also opened this weekend, opened at number thirteen. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh So. We haven't done this in a while. Where we stand um, worldwide, we've got uh, nothing has changed in the top three. It's still our three billion dollar babies: Beauty and the Beast, Fate of the Furious, and Despicable Me. Spider Man has climbed up the ranks worldwide uh, for an eight hundred and seventy nine million dollar uh, gate. You know that uh, that was a little surprising. There's a foreign movie called Wolf Warrior, which is taking the number five spot, dropping Guardians in the Galaxy and Wonder Woman to six and seven, respectively. Pirates of the Caribbean, almost $800 million, ranks in at number eight. Logan, um, still in the top ten at number nine. And It has barely knocked Transformers out of the top ten. Paramount. Because Transformers (laughs) sucked, and It was good. Uh, the people at Paramount are probably on suicide watch at this point. <laughs> Transformers has dropped out of the top 10 worldwide to number 11, just ahead of Kong Skull Island. Any Warner chance Brothers, it drops however, further? Uh, I mean, well, I mean, there's a few places it's guaranteed to drop with, you know, Star Wars coming out. But do you think it falls 
out of the top 15? Well, here's what's directly behind it. Kong, Skull Island, so no. Dunkirk, probably not. The Boss Baby, nope. And War for the Planet of the Apes, yeah, no. None of of those are going to make any more money than they've already made at this point. So they're not overtaking it. Um, Transformers, uh, sorry, uh, Star Wars makes a billion dollars and is in somewhere in the top three. So just just by its entrance into the top ten, it pushes it down. Thor probably probably the between somewhere between six and ten, so it pushes it down even further. Uh, Justice League probably somewhere between three and seven. Uh, pushes it down even further, and that's that. So between, uh, who you know, Coco may or may not do do great numbers. You know, it's a it's a story that focuses on the Mexican heritage. You know, the Day of the Dead and all of that. Um, I mean, Pixar brings in the brings in the audience, but you know, does it do better than Cars three at three hundred and seventy four million worldwide? Eh, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Not you know, does it make the top ten? I don't. I don't think so. I don't think Coco does. Um, and I think that's it for... Uh, let me look and see what else we're doing here. Uh, yeah, Thor and Justice League are the big November releases that make the top ten. Star Wars does, and that's it. So I at wonder least which three of those more two flops. At least, you know, so three, movie, three movies at the very least make the top ten. So you figure Transformers probably finishes the year at 14 or 15. Okay. From, from where it is now. It's my prediction, at least. I um, find that hilarious and overdue. <laughs> and, well, again, and once again, and I'm looking at, like, the top 20 right now, and that is Paramount's only... No, sorry, the only other entry from Paramount in the top 20 movies for this year so far is Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage. Which also was Warner terrible. Brothers. Warner Brothers is what is uh, they don't have a movie anywhere in the top six. Their highest grossing movie this year is Wonder Woman, but when you look at They're... comparatively speaking, like their total number of pictures compared to some of the other ones, Warner Brothers is actually kicking ass this year. They were very. They're being very judicious, and they're really hoping that Justice League doesn't fail. Because that's where, like, all of their eggs are in that particular basket. Uh, looking at the uh, the studios, yeah, they are currently the number one in market share uh, for this year. It's Warner Brothers, then Disney, then Universal, with uh, Fox coming in fourth, and then finally Sony at a distant number five. Paramount is, of all the major studios, Paramount is dead last with 4.9. And then after that, it's just, it's all little companies. Yeah, this is this has been an interesting year, and there's uh, more to come, and I'm just sad about it. You know, it's funny. This, you know, the strength of Disney and the Marvel brand and the Star Wars. Well, the Star not Star Wars doesn't count just yet, but um, they're at sixteen point eight in the number two spot with only five movies compared to Warner Brothers fifteen. <laughs> and then Universal had 10 movies in 2017. So it's like, um, it's it's an interesting char- little chart here in the studio market share. Um, all right. 
Let's go ahead. Are you ready to finish this out? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 All right, we're going to start this one with with, with the one crit- criticism that's probably going to have you cause you to have a stroke. Uh, this is the Get em Winfrey review of the night. You ready? Yeah, yeah, I'm chomping at the bit. Abby Elstice from Sojourners. Liberation doesn't have quite the same effect when it's done by white people for other white people. Oh, for the love of... <laughs> I just really we're <laughs> that's where we've landed here. I can't come up with a legitimate criticism of this movie, so talking about you know as as oh how you you just gave me a mild stroke like that doesn't even begin to make sense as a a as a film criticism and b as a worldview. Like that particular perspective is not replicable at scale. You're <laughs> how desperate were you to shoehorn that particular argument into something you were writing? Do you feel better about yourself now? Boy, I brought up racial diversity and how white people are bad when reviewing a movie. I can check that off the old bucket list and make all my other fellow liberal arts dropouts on the internet feel good about themselves. What the? What are you doing reviewing movies? Ooh, Who you almost you cursed. You're mad. Qualified enough to speak about anything? <laughs> I just, I know you have people in the house that are with an earshot of you. Do they look at you during this part of the show and ask, what in the hell is he telling you or reading to you that makes you react this way? On occasion, yes. <laughs> Every now and then I get a look. When, I, when you find something that, acts, that particularly sets me off, people around me kind of look and raise an eyebrow. Like it, Again, it's like hearing the punchline without hearing the setup. You know, like, what, <laughs> what precipitated this? <laughs> I got to imagine that occasionally you get asked, why do you do this podcast with him? He sounds like he just makes you mad. No. For some reason, like, I don't get a lot of comments. I don't get a lot of criticism or feedback or critiques. That's all, like, I mean, like, I know you've talked about some of the stuff you receive in the past as far as that goes. Uh, Sean has people who, you know, give him feedback. I'm just uh, for some reason, I don't know why. Like, I, I get none of that. <laughs> Positive or negative? I am I, out here on the proverbial island. Well, I was gonna say no. I'm just talking about the people in your house, like your brother or whoever else it is you live with, just kind of walking by and seeing you foaming at the mouth and asking you, "But why, Robert? Why do you even do this to yourself? What is he? What is going on?" All right. No, no, um, they know. With more, like, I've exp- I, okay. they all get the gimmick. They, they, this okay. is actually like really good for my emotional health to explode <laughs> every now and then under a safe set of circumstances i'm glad it could help you uh david mad dog bradley of adelaide review with more violence in the first film and a stronger emphasis on sex this also lacks the underlying philosophical conundrums that made blade runner so lastingly powerful i mean again were you just not paying attention 
It's uh, subtlety, Mark. Subtlety is lost on people, it seems. Uh, there's no dialogue explaining it, so therefore it must not be there. I mean, is there more violence? Yeah, there's more violence than in the original, sure. But this is, I wouldn't even categorize this as an overly violent movie. I mean, we've seen, st- we've reviewed stuff this year that's more violent. We've reviewed major releases from major studios that were more violent. I, I, I don't feel that's the most valid of criticisms. And, you know, the underlying, you know, the philosophical issues are still there. You just have to actually pay attention to see them. And you need the... Uh, and I mean, I mean the, the fixation on the sexual is more a byproduct of their society going to hell than anything else. And also, given how many people choose to define themselves via their sexuality rather than having that be a component of who they are as an individual... It makes sense that a an entity trying to figure out who he is and how he relates to things would be a sexual being. I mean, they don't they they didn't make a bunch of Ken dolls when they made replicants. Like, yeah. Chuck Bowen of Slant Magazine says, "Blade Runner twenty forty nine has been made with impeccable craftsmanship and taste. Yet the film is so terrified of disreputability." that it renders itself dead from the waist down, unable to derive pleasure from even a theoretically kinky robot three-way. I... I'm sorry, were you hoping for something trashier? I mean, was your goal like... Okay, what if... uh, I hate to say it about this particular gentleman... But what if Roger Corman had made this movie? That's what you wanted? <laughs> All right. Uh, Jim Did you want Shembry, something more um... illicit? I mean, were you, like, actually hoping for porn? Like... Jim Shembry of 3AW says, Blade Runner 2049 is breathtakingly dull. It barely has enough story to cover a 90-minute film, let alone one that runs 164. It's punishingly slow. The performances are sullen and dour. Nobody seems interested in being there. The film is a visual bore. Okay, half of those are not fair and just inaccurate. First of all, the visuals are actually really strong. B, first of all, there's that. Second of all, the performances are dour because it's a relatively dour world. I mean, they expressly state that various ecological systems around the world have collapsed. The physical planet Earth is dying. You expect them to be happy? I mean, how disconnected from reality are you? Sour Stewart of the New York Post, top critic, says, like the 20-foot-tall ballerina holograms pirouetting through its decrepit Los Angeles streets, Blade Runner 2049 is hauntingly beautiful, technologically stunning, and low on substance. Ugh. I feel like that's a common theme amongst people who just didn't pay attention. Because the substance is derived from watching the actors actually act, and don't get me wrong, again, this is a slow movie and a long movie, and that can try the patience of the average moviegoer. That's fine and fair. 
if your job is to review film, I expect you to have a slightly higher threshold of tolerance. I expect you to be able to sit through a three-hour movie if necessary, pay attention, and talk about it intelligently. Maybe I just expect too much of people claiming to be professionals in any given field. I mean, why should your doctor know the difference between (laughs) pancreatitis and pancreatic cancer? Jake Coyle of the Associated Press, top critic, says, while Blade Runner 2049 is always something to look at, an overtly elaborate script and some other bad habits common to today's sequel machinery, such as glaring product placement, have broken the Blade Runner's spell. This person apparently never saw the first one with the glaring product placement of Atari, Coca-Cola, and Pan Am. Do you not understand the purpose of set? I mean, look, this isn't product placement because they were paid. This is meant to reflect how the world is at the time. Specifically that it's... Again, like, yeah, this guy must not have seen the original. Because there was product placement everywhere. It was deliberate, and it meant to serve a purpose in terms of fleshing out the world. Uh, That's not the same as shilling for cash. This is a great one. Laura Clifford of Reeling Reviews says, there are, no new, there are no new ideas here. Poignancy achieved by rehashing moments of the original film with dollops lifted from Spielberg's AI and Spike Jones's Her. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what to say. <laughs> like, is your, I mean, seriously, is your, is your perspective on this that skewed? Like, oh, they're, they're trying to be sentimental when dealing with the nature of life and artificial intelligence. And because I didn't like it, well, rather than cite a good movie, let's cite AI. And her was also like much, much dumber. Like, and I, I have one of these gripes about uh, the hologram character in this one, like expressing emotion because you can't, like you don't have it. There is a physiological component to emotion. There's a reason uh, people the, get. There's a reason people with brain damage suffer from emotional disorders. Heck, just screwing with your vagus nerve. That's VHA. I got two I more. Two more can have here, serious then, emotional uh, consequences. The physiological component to it. An AI that exists purely in cyberspace does not have emotions. It has rough facsimiles thereof. And there's your, bit, more, of and not, then there's your bit of science that nobody asked for. Because I haven't done one of those you, in a Mr. while. Thank you, Mr. Wizard. Two more, and then I'm done for the night. All Michelle right. Alexandria of Eclipse Magazine says, Everything wrong with sequels. I don't understand that criticism. There is not really one original this is on the movie. Hold on. This is the movie you're going to say is everything wrong with sequels. There was a Transformers movie a few months ago. <laughs> There's not one original awe-inspiring moment in this film. It's cold, emotionally inert, uninspired, and ultimately an empty experience. Ugh. I I just don't understand how you could watch this movie and not get some of the journey of Ryan Gosling's character. I mean, setting aside Harrison Ford's, who is a different story, but the, you, how can you just 
how can you just be so blind to what K goes through? I don't understand. Like, I physically and intellectually do not understand how you could sit there, watch this movie, and not understand the journey of that character. Now, maybe, which is not to say it's without, it's flawless. Right? There are things about it you could critique. But to pretend that he doesn't have one, or that there's no emotionality to it, is just asinine. You're just trying to find reason to express your jaundiced viewpoint. All right. Um, Last one, and we're going to throw it to our good friend Leonard Malton of LeonardMalton.com. I admire the hard work that went into this film by a team of people who are devotees of the original and strove to do it justice. Fans and admirers of way in mass, I'm sure, but I found Blade Runner 2049 long and boring. Mark, are you really Leonard Moulton? You can tell me. <laughs> no, I don't make Leonard Moulton money. Sorry. Ugh. Look, I will say this as far as that goes. I appreciate that he actually couched his argument in I, as an I found. Because that's fair. He found this long and boring. It is certainly long. There's empirical data. If he found it boring, that's fine. At least he didn't say... Again, at least he didn't state that as empirical fact. So there is nothing of value and nothing interesting that takes place in the movie. He found it boring. That's fair. I accept that. Congratulations, sir. Maybe he heard us. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it, that seems like the type of sentence that use that he would have used. It, it, it's long and boring, and left it at that rather than appropriately couching this as his opinion relative to the actual facts of what happened within the film. So, thank you for taking one step towards actual credibility within your writing, sir. I don't. I'm not going to hold my breath for the next one. All right. So. Uh... In the next three weeks, this is what we got going on. Uh, Robert will be. We we won't next week. We aren't reviewing a movie because nothing good comes out this weekend. However, we we will be back on Tuesday to review the second half of season three, otherwise known as season four of Voltron, uh, brought to you by Netflix. And then we're back with two more reviews. Uh, we've got Geostorm, which Robert personally can't wait for, and Jigsaw, which I hate. <laughs> And Jigsaw, which I hate Robert for. I, I don't want to go see this movie. Tell you what, you let me out of Geostorm, I'll let you out of Jigsaw. We can take the rest of the month off. Not happening, sir. Um, <laughs> no, no, but I will but sit there. Here's what, I, here's what I don't think is fair about this. I'm going to get stuck watching uh-huh. Geostorm, and then in the week between the two, you're going to find some way to weasel out of seeing Jigsaw. <laughs> No, I will. I will do what I'm supposed to do and go see Jigsaw. How yeah, about sure. how about instead of how about instead of that we review the Disney Halloween movie? Huh? I uh, I have no access to that. It's a Fandango experience. Uh, um, not a fan. Is it Fandango? No, Phantom Phantom event. It, there's a Phantom event uh, that we're that might be taking my kids to go see on October 28th. And it's the uh, Disney Junior Halloween. No. We could review that instead. Huh? No? 
Mark, I go to see enough weird movies by myself that get people staring at me <laughs> when I'm the lone 31-year-old guy in a theater full of kids. <laughs> I will not go see a Disney Junior Halloween experience on my own. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, the rest of the week, the rest of this week and next uh, goes like the, goes like this here on the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network. Tomorrow is the new Cradle of Filth on uh, Metal Hammer of Doom. Uh, Thursday, Sean and I will attempt to put Blade Runner, the theatrical cut, on trial. Uh, the aforementioned Voltron is a week from tonight. A week from tomorrow is the new Marilyn Manson, Heaven Upside Down. No show Thursday. I'm taking the day off. Um... The following week, source material has Planet Hulk, uh, the aforementioned Geostorm, Metal Hammer of Doom is reviewing the new Stray from the Path, and by Sean's request, we will be reviewing, uh, we will be uh, putting Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, I think it's called? Season, uh, season of, of the Witch. Season of the Witch on trial. Uh, and then we end the month with, uh, we end the month of October with a review of Jigsaw, uh, motorhead undercover and uh, that's that for that week so those are our shows we hope you'll join us for them all did you hear mark hunt got pulled from his uh from his fight due to like yep. uh was it not not brain damage but some sort of brain issue cte he has he did an interview with uh i forget which magazine where he discussed some of the symptoms that he's that some of his you know issues that are symptoms of cte Slurred speech, short-term memory loss, uh, things of that nature. And yeah, the UFC pulled him, and he got pissed and went on a profanity-laden rant based at, uh, aimed at Dana White. Seems a little silly since they're trying to look out for his best interest, and he's only been fighting for 100 years. Maybe he needs to retire. Um, he was also informed about being removed from said card, not via a UFC official. And over, like, Twitter. Well, I can see where he would be irritated by that. But Mark Hunt, if and you're And this is the card in Sydney, which I know he was looking forward to main eventing. Which I get. But, again, brain damage is brain damage. And as much as it would have been maybe fun to see him go out in Sydney, say, hey, this is my last one, I, I, I don't want him to end up like Muhammad Ali. Or dead. I'm pretty sure he's going to wind up like that. I mean, we all will. <laughs> uh, all right. So speaking of which, what else you got going on in the world? Not much. I covered UFC 216 last Saturday, which featured like the most spectacular submission finish in all of MMA history. Thanks, Demetrius. It was awesome. Uh, we reviewed said event on the 411 Ground and Pound radio show this coming Sunday at 8 p.m. on the 411 Ground and Pound radio show. We will preview Fight Night 116. 18, excuse me, 118. It's a Fight Pass exclusive card. Um, yeah. I mean, Donald Cerrone and Darren Till should be fun, but I got nothing for the rest of it. I just got nothing. <laughs> okay. All right, folks. What an exciting ending to this podcast. Thank you for joining us. Um, I guess you should do the outro, shouldn't you, since you're technically the host. I don't care if you like doing it. Um, 
Yeah, right, thanks for folks, listening, thank guys. Always appreciated. <laughs> Feel free to send comments right. and criticisms to Mark. You can find him at Mark Radelich. You can leave those uh, comments as well on the Radelich and Broadcasting Network Facebook page. Continue to give him grief over not being able to review a top 10 movie of the year with me. Because that amuses was a me. fucking hurricane and we didn't have electric. What did you want me to do? I'm just saying. Just, I, I hope people give you grief over it because it amuses me. That's all I'm saying. Nobody, nobody has. Literally, you're the only one. Congratulations. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Someone else do it so I don't feel so alone and sad. I mean, I still okay. will, but <laughs> the effort would matter. Uh, all right. Uh, Until next you, time, everyone, everybody. For Thanks for being here. <laughs> You hit the button for the outro music. Uh, Please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.